After losing in the wildcard round of the 49ers, the Seahawks are officially heading into offseason mode. And while there's disappointment with their season coming to a finish, there's plenty of optimism in the Pacific Northwest. Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking down why the Seahawks have as bright of a future as any team in the NFL heading into 2023 on our latest edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Joining me for our latest Monday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Unfortunately, we're not celebrating a victory. No victory Monday today. We are kicking off the offseason. The Seahawks eliminated by the 49ers, 41-23 in the wild card round on Saturday, ushering in the offseason. Maybe a little earlier than many fans would have liked to see, but at the same time, there's a lot of reasons for optimism for the Seahawks exceeding all expectations and a bright future heading into 2023 and beyond. Rob and I are going to be breaking that down, plus answering your mailbag questions and taking a look at Saturday's defeat at Levi Stadium with our final Monday musings of the 2022 season. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks had a lead at halftime against the 49ers on Saturday. Pete Carroll was undefeated in the playoffs as coach of the Seahawks under such circumstances. But unfortunately, all records eventually have to go down. And the 49ers, with an incredible fourth quarter performance, put the Seahawks away, ending their surprising season with a 41-23 victory at Levi Stadium. And obviously, Rob, any time that you have an abrupt end to a season, especially when you're like the Seahawks and you surprise and you make the postseason, that abrupt ending it's never easy to deal with that. There was plenty of emotion, plenty of tears in the locker room, but more so than other teams that I have covered, you could also sense the optimism and the excitement about 2023 and beyond. Everybody was eager to get right back to work the next morning. Geno Smith in lifting weights, even though he's not under contract for next season at this stage. Other players just champing at the bit for the opportunity to get back into action next season and you can obviously sit here and look at a number of different reasons why, but this truly is an example of a team that exceeded all expectations last year and the best should be yet to come for the Seattle Seahawks. Well, yeah, that, that's one of the things that's so exciting about it, Corbin, is that uh, it, it did feel like this was a year early. I don't think there were very many people out there who were anticipating that that Seattle would be returning to the playoffs uh, again this season. And so the fact that, uh, you know, that the, the season is over, obviously anybody out there who was a Seahawk fan was hoping that the season would continue longer than it did. But Again, I don't think that there is anybody who was realistically anticipating that the Seattle was going to make the playoffs in the first place. So the season did extend a week longer 
than many of us forecasted. And, and as you said, I mean, Seattle went into the, that playoff game against the 49ers ahead at the half um, to see how well that Seattle responded back. I mean, it was basically there was one quarter in there where Seattle was very clearly the better of the two teams. And, and considering how much that the Seahawks have struggled against San Francisco, not only against the 49ers in Levi Stadium, but here in Seattle, I think that that was pretty satisfying just in itself to see Jason Myers go out there, nail that 56-yard field goal, burn the 49ers for some of the mistakes that they made. You felt great about going into halftime at that point, even though Seattle had struggled, um, especially in run defense and in tackling, as we've talked about all season long. And yet still the Seahawks were in this game. I think you have to give the 49ers credit. You know, we, we talked about the fact that they just were at a different level in terms of just size, speed, just physically the talent that they possessed. And, you know, I think that Pete Carroll appropriately kind of gave Brock Purdy an awful lot of credit in his post-game press conference because that's what was so darn, uh, you know, frustrating about the game is that some of Seattle's stars stepped up their performance. DK Metcalf was absolutely unbelievable. To see Uchenna Nuosu come up with three tackles for loss, absolutely spectacular individual performances. Um, but at the same time, to see the game kind of slip out of your fingers the way that it did towards the end. And again, a big amount of respect has to go to the smallest guy on the field, at least at times, and Brock Purdy. I think, again, you just got to kind of tip your cap to a, a very good team in the 49ers and a team that, uh, you know, surprised many of us in the Seahawks. And, and it, what was a very entertaining um, and uh, very entertaining 2022 season. And as you said, there's all the reasons to suggest that the Seahawks are going to be even better in 2023. I like that Pete Carroll today in his postseason press conference pointed out that it took the 49ers – several years to build the roster that they have currently. And the Seahawks are just in the beginning stages of doing that. And what really helps them, and this has been a talking point for us all season, we've been on Russell Wilson, Denver Broncos watch, really since week one when the Seahawks beat them at Lumen Field because Seattle gets their first and second round pick. And so that's really why you can sense that optimism in the locker room. They feel like they're just getting started because this team was projected to win five and a half games by the people running the books. This was not supposed to be a playoff team, and yet they go nine and eight. Geno Smith breaks a bunch of franchise records. This rookie class stars from day one, and there's so much room for that group to get even better moving forward. And the thing is, they've now got four picks in the top 60. They've got that number five overall pick from the Broncos, and they've got a hair under $50 million in projected cap room. Now, there's a little bit of a caveat to that. Geno Smith needs a contract, obviously. There are a number of other key free agents that need contracts. That money is going to dry up pretty quickly. $50 million in cap space really isn't that much in the NFL when you consider how much you got to pay starter quality players. And they're also going to have to account for all the draft picks that they're going to be making, especially having two first rounders, a number five overall selection. You're going to be paying pretty good money for that pick as well. And so I don't want to discourage Seahawks fans with that. It's just I don't think there's as much money out there, at least right now, without making some cuts or restructuring some contracts. There's not as much financial flexibility as people think if you're planning to bring Geno Smith back. But again, 
You've got a quarterback that had a record-setting year. He hasn't played that much football in the NFL for a 32-year-old quarterback, so he's got room to get better in year two in Shane Waldron's system. He's going to have his two rookie tackles blocking for him. They should only get better moving forward. He's got stud receivers on the outside. He's got some really good tight ends at his disposal. And on defense, you've got some good young pieces. That seems to be the side of the ball where they're going to have to make the most emphasis on utilizing those draft picks and whatever money they have left over in free agency to try to get that group closer to bridging the gap with a team like the 49ers. Yeah, that was clearly the, the difference between the two rosters was just the fact that the 49ers were able to get such consistent pressure with just their their base front, um, whereas the 49ers, uh, or as the Seahawks, excuse me, kind of consistently had to get pretty creative to be able to generate any type of consistent pressure. And then, of course, just the, the lack of tackling in the back half um, of that as well. Um, you know, really what it comes down to is the Seahawks have options. And it's nice to have options at the quarterback position. Um, you know, of course, the Seahawks have the ability to franchise Geno Smith if they think that he is to, you know, look elsewhere. And I think that Geno Smith is is certainly would be understandable if he did look elsewhere. You know, ever since that uh, that initial four year deal that he received as a second round pick from the Jets all those years ago, it's just been a series of one year deals. He deserves this opportunity to try to get the biggest paycheck that he possibly can. But then again, with, with the Seahawks and the, the four selections within the top 60, including number five overall, Seattle is going to be in a better position or the best position to take a quarterback uh, than they have throughout the entire Pete Carroll and John Schneider era. And so there is a, a, a good number of really talented quarterbacks that are going to be available to the Seahawks. I think that it's easy to make the argument that the Seahawks should just bring back Geno Smith and then use this draft and whatever you have remaining in free agent cap room to try to just supplement this defense and be able to hit the ground running next season. I think there's also an argument that you should be investing that number five overall selection in a quarterback and really taking the long approach uh, to this season. To me, that's really it's going to be fascinating about this um, as the Seahawks kind of figure out what they're going to do. And oh, by the way, Geno Smith isn't the only uh, free agent quarterback out there. This Some people are saying this is the most talented free agent quarterback class in NFL history, Corbin. So again, I can't wait to break it all down. It just feels like the Seahawks have so many different options. And when you look at their free agents this upcoming season, with the exception of Geno Smith and you know, maybe put a forward as well. I mean, the Seahawks' best players are already on their roster, and so they should be able to take those strides, as you just mentioned. So what Seattle chooses to do with the draft and free agency really is going to have a wide variance of what, what the Seahawks are going to be able to do. And as a result, it's going to be fascinating to see if, again, if the Seahawks are looking to win right now or if they're looking to try to take a longer-term approach to rebuilding this franchise. And obviously, we're going to have plenty of time the next couple of months to look at how the Seahawks are going to be addressing the deficiencies on their roster, how they're going to try to improve this roster. But this is always the toughest part for an NFL team. When you have a year where you exceed expectations like the Seahawks did, you make the playoffs, you were playing with house money all season. There are going to be much higher expectations next year, regardless of what they choose to do at the quarterback position. People are going to expect that this team is capable of getting to the postseason. Taking that next step from being a fringe playoff contender to a Super Bowl contender, that is the toughest step. It's the toughest step. And going into year two of this 
reloading, retooling, however you want to call it. Uh, John Schneider and Pete Carroll and company, they're going to have a lot of pressure on them to get this team to that next step. And they're going to have to push most of the right buttons here to make it happen. Because again, this is the toughest step to go from fringe to being a Super Bowl contender. And this offseason, they're going to be looking to take the steps necessary to make that happen. Coming up next, we're going to get to our final Monday mailbag of the 2022 season. We're going to answer as many of your questions as we can. Coming up next to your on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. It's Wild Card Weekend. Things are going to wrap up tonight with the Cowboys and the Buccaneers. I'm banking on Dak Prescott having a big bounce back day with two passing touchdowns against the Bucs. That might not seem like a bold leap with Prize Picks. It's easy to play. Daily Fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players if they score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's only you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections in any sport you watch, whether it's the NBA, MLB, NHL, even boxing. It's that easy. And entries can be made in 60 seconds or less with safe and fast withdrawals. It's currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Now for a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be full of challenges. Over the past year, our family has undergone significant strife with family members dealing with major health issues. It's been a struggle for me and my loved ones coping with it mentally. Life can be full of twists and turns, so it's important to show yourself through it all. And BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. Therapy worked wonders for me, but don't just take my word for it. Having someone in your corner to guide you when you're struggling to navigate obstacles can be invaluable. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online, available to people worldwide. With therapy, it can take a few tries to find the right fit for you. And BetterHelp is a great way to invest in yourself. BetterHelp has a special offer to our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash locked on. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash locked on. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a thanks to all the 12s out there, whether this is your first time listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast or you are a regular listener. We greatly appreciate all of you. And thanks for supporting us throughout the 2022 season and moving into the offseason as well. For your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked On NFL podcast to get your daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories. They've got in-depth analysis and the biggest games, NFL key predictions every Friday. And on Monday, our local insiders cover the weekend with game-to-game episodes. Locked On NFL is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Continuing our latest Monday episode, we obviously will be doing mailbags throughout the offseason as well, but this will be our final mailbag of the 2022 season as we tie up loose ends with the Seahawks losing to the 49ers in the wild card round. We had tons of questions from you, the 12s. We're going to try to answer as many of those as we can today. And Rob, I'm going to dish it to you first. This question coming from Spencer Levian tweets. Switching to the 3-4 was banking on a healthy Jamal Adams. Two questions here. Will we ever see a healthy, impactful Jamal Adams again? And should we consider switching back to a 4-3? Two very interesting questions that I think play off of each other depending on your answers. Yeah, I think that there is a yes to both those answers in theory. 
Um, you know, the, the Jamal, obviously you got to be able to get Jamal, Jamal back on the field. If the Seahawks are going to be able to have any type of, uh, you know, real success using that position. I mean, Ryan Neal is a good football player and we, we've seen Quandre Diggs, seen Jonathan Abram, Tease Tabor. We've seen a number of safeties make plays, you know, every now and then. Um, Quandra Diggs, again, is a terrific player, but very few players have the ability to make plays on every part of the field the way that Jamal Adams does. And so I think that that is important. And I think that the Seahawks are still playing on getting that. If they can get that additional pass rusher that Adams can provide, he's unique in what he can provide in that regard, then I, I do think that you can kind of continue to build through your 3-4 scheme that Seattle invested so heavily in this past season. Um, um, that said, if the CX don't feel that they're going to be able to get Adams back, I, I think that it's critical that you in, you improve your pass rush. And so I, I think that considering how much that Seattle struggled to get any type of consistent pass rush this past season, then I think that there's a possibility that Pete Carroll's going to go back to his roots. And I don't think that he wants to do that, ad admitting to switching at this point would be, be an admission that they screwed up this past year. But at the same time, it does feel like there are some round pegs going in square holes a little bit with some of Seattle's personnel. And so depending on the direction that Seattle takes at number five overall with that draft pick, and again, how comfortable the Seahawks feel about Jamal Adams being able to come back at full health, I think that there could be some changes the Seahawks are going to make on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think that this the health situation with what Pete Carroll has said, they're not expecting that he's going to be healthy probably until training camp at the earliest because this quad injury he's coming back from is typically a year-long process. So he might not be ready for the start of the regular season. They're not going to be rushing him back. There's a good hit rate now for guys coming back from this injury, but it's just a very long haul to make it back. And he just started running on a treadmill. So this is not something where he's going to be available early in OTAs. Probably he's going to need extra time. And depending where his health is at, that's going to impact what they can do schematically. And maybe that does mean we see more of a leaning towards some of the old stuff they did with their 4-3 style defense that obviously had some 3-4 principles too. There's a lot of variables at play here, but they're hoping that they can get number 33 back at full health because he would make this scheme that much better because really – it caters to his strengths as well as any scheme out there. And they just didn't get to see what he could do with it, missing most of the season. Next question from Katie Ellis tweets, who do you see getting cut this offseason? Obviously, this is always a tough topic to discuss because you never want to see players get the ax. But this is the reality of the NFL. It is a business. And Rob, I'm going to throw two quick names out there. One being a player that I think is underachieved since the Seahawks acquired him. And the other one who I thought was a very valuable piece of their defense this year and played well. I'm going to start with the with the first one, the player that's underperformed. Gabe Jackson has not been the difference maker along the offensive line that I think Seattle thought they were trading for when they got him from the Raiders. He was okay at times this year, but they were mixing him with Phil Haynes. He couldn't play entire games. They were rotating him out of the lineup. If he's already dealing with those issues, not able to get through a season, He's been very inconsistent with run blocking. His pass protection has been very up and down. He had a couple games where he gave up more than five pressures this year. You can save more than $6 million against the cap by cutting him, and you could re-sign Phil Haynes for much cheaper and then draft a rookie to go against him. I think that there's a strong pop uh, probability that that happens. The other name I'm going to throw out there, 
I think the Seahawks will try to find a way to keep Shelby Harris around. But with his current contract, the last year of his deal, his cap hit is more than $12 million. You could save almost $9 million by cutting him, or you could do some type of a restructure. Maybe you could extend him a year so that you keep him around for a couple of years. He's still a very solid rotational, you know, borderline starter caliber player, but he's not worth the price tag for this season, and you can save so much money by cutting him or trading him, whatever the Seahawks end up doing. Typically, this time of year, you have to cut a player like that, especially one that's now going to be 32 years old. So those would be two names that I think would make the most sense, one of them being a player that's underachieved, the other one being one I think the Seahawks would like to find a way to keep him around, but at a lower price tag. Yeah, I think that's very well said, Corbin. Um, you know, Shelby Harris, I think, has been um, a terrific player. Um, since Seattle acquired him in the Russell Wilson trade. Um, really an underrated performer for the Seahawks. But yeah, at that price point, given his age, I, I do think that, that Seattle might look to uh, be able to extend him if they can and be able to try and drop down that, that yearly rate down a little bit. Uh, and then again, with, with Gabe Jackson, a, a good player. I think that he is still a starting caliber guard in today's NFL. But again, considering the amount of money that that's that he is being owed uh his advancing age the fact that i do think that guard continues to be a real problem for the seahawks to me it just makes a lot more sense uh both sense in terms of its logical and sense in terms of fi financially um for seattle to go with a younger cheaper option with a little bit higher upside our next question here coming from Theo F tweets, there were times specifically in the midseason where it seemed like K-9 slowed down before he turned it on late in the season. Do we have a problem there? And if so, what running back archetype should we be acquiring? Is the answer re-signing Rashad Penny as a change of pace backup running back? So I'm going to answer this one just from my running back background, but I do think Seattle has some concerns of the running back position behind Ken Walker III. Could Rashad Penny be brought back? Absolutely. Uh, Pete Carroll made it sound like today that was a strong possibility. He was talking about getting him back for training camp, being ready to go, but he's going to be a free agent. I would think the cost is going to be pretty cheap with the injury history that he's got. So it's possible Penny could be back and he would give him a bigger back at 235 pounds that they were missing. But I think they need more of a battering ram that can alternate with Ken Walker the third, and they're also going to have some questions with the third down back because Travis Homer's a free agent. He's had a bunch of injuries. DJ Dallas has been solid. Maybe DJ Dallas ends up being that guy, but I do think they're going to have to draft one running back to put into this group, preferably one that's a bigger body guy that can run between the tackles and get those short yardage pickups. Ken Walker the third is a powerful runner, but he's not a he's not a downhill trucking style running back. They could certainly use a change of pace back in that style. And I think they could be looking for that in the draft. I agree with you. I think that, um, that Seattle lacked that, that bulldozer. Um, that yeah. bell cow of a back that just really brought a, a physical intensity to him. Um, I think that anybody who has watched Kenneth Walker the third this season has just been, you know, floored with his elusiveness, his big play ability. Um, I mean, he is just a joy to watch, but at the same time, he doesn't run with that just nastiness that uh, that we've seen some of the other backs during Pete Carroll's tenure uh, run with. And so, yes, I do agree that um, I think that running back is actually going to be a little bit higher 
of a priority than a lot of Seahawks fans and a lot of national pundits out there might expect for this particular franchise. I do think that bringing back Rashad Penny is a strong possibility because, as you mentioned, I mean, he's just not going to get that much interest on the open market given his durability concerns. And I think that he feels like he might have some unfinished business here in Seattle as well. So, yes, I think that bringing back Penny is a priority for the Seahawks. I also think bringing back some more talent, whether it be a bulldozer, whether it be a more of a traditional third down back, an air back, who excels as a receiver out of the back. I think that might be something that Seattle looks to, to bring back as well. Our next question here coming from Robert Boas tweets, who would you keep on the starting defense from 2022 moving forward? So uh, right now, to me, Rob, there's only a couple of untouchables on this defense. Tariq Woolen, I think, is going to obviously be your starter long-term at right corner, getting all pro votes. He is going to be a superstar. So he is one of them that you can lock up. I still think a healthy Jordan Brooks in the middle. I know some fans are disappointed with his performance this year, but I still think that Jordan Brooks has all pro potential linebacker. And so I think him coming back from his ACL injury, as long as he's healthy, he is one that I would think is going to be part of their long-term plans. And up front, I think Boy Mafe and Daryl Taylor are both going to be fixtures along with Uchenna Nuoso. I actually like their edge rushers. They need better reliability, consistency from the interior to help those guys out as pass rushers, but I actually like the edge guys. I think away from that, who knows what Quandre Diggs' future is beyond next season because he's going to be he's, – he's 30 years old now. Who knows what's going to happen there? Jamal Adams, we don't know if he's going to be fully healthy coming back. Ryan Neal is a restricted free agent and will be an unrestricted free agent next year. It's going to be tough to have his money on the books with the other two safeties that they have. And so I feel like this is a defense that really you only have three or four positions that are truly set – and then you're going to be looking to try to upgrade the rest of those positions this offseason. No, I 100% agree with you. I think that this is a, a very good question, one that really deserves its own segment. And I, I'm sure we'll break this down you know, as, as we move forward. But yeah. to me, what this really comes down to is, are you willing to fork over the money that you're going to need to retain a player like a Puna Ford or a uh, – you know, at the linebacker position with, with Cody Barton, for example. Um, do you have enough confidence that Quandre Diggs is going to be the player that he was over the final month of the season? Or is age creeping up with him a little bit? Because he was not the same player over the first half of the season that he had been previously uh, with the Seahawks. Um, you know, so to me, that's really what this kind of comes down to. Um, I think that clearly there needs to be some talent upgrades again in terms of the pass rush. Um, so, you know, again, I, I think that it's going to be fascinating to see what the Seahawks do at number five overall. That decision right there alone is going to really dictate what Seattle does basically the rest of the way. I just feel like a lot of these high draft picks have to go to the defensive side of the football. We're going to have plenty of time to debate about what positions it should be, what players it should be. Uh, but this does feel like a team that needs to shore up the defense to really get that gap closed with the 49ers. The offense ha has a lot of the pieces that they need, but the defense, it really does feel like a lot of the positions could be right for looking for upgrades going into 2023 and beyond. Coming up next, we're going to share our final Monday musings for the 2022 season, the Seahawks losing to the 49ers in the wildcard round. We're going to share some in-depth takeaways after re-watching the film from that game. We'll look at offense, defense, and special teams coming up next here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. 
This episode is brought your way by Ultimate Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise, well, your dream can come true. And this game is definitely for you. You manage every strategic aspect of your team, playing through the season and leading your team to glory. Unless you're like me, I'm struggling this season. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency in the draft, and all the ups and downs of the season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. You can play on the go as you want and when you want to. I'm currently managing the Honolulu Shards. Year two is not going near as well as I thought it was going to. I've got a lot of young players that, quite frankly, are not developing how I hoped they would. I'm hoping to get back on track moving forward to compete against the rest of the Locked On hosts in our virtual league. It's an absolute blast, and our listeners should join in the fun in their own league. Locked On Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when they use the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game store. That's Locked On in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. You can download the game by going to ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM, start your dynasty today. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbett Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. All right, Rob, it's time for our final Monday musings of the season. It's kind of depressing because, you know, we're not going to have a game to break down next week unless maybe we'll do a Monday musings for the Pro Bowl. Oh, wait, there isn't going to be an actual Pro Bowl game this year. So this will be our final Monday musings, our in-depth takeaways from the previous game, the Seahawks falling short 41-23 to against the 49ers in the wildcard round. They were ahead at halftime, only down six after three quarters. Really kept this game close until the fourth quarter happened and the 49ers, the more talented team, were able to blow things up at Levi Stadium. And 25 unanswered points, you're not going to win playoff games when that happens to you. So, unfortunately, the season is over for the Seahawks. Let's look at this game from Saturday, one that the Seahawks were very competitive in for probably you could say half the game because the first quarter they were down 10-0 and then they were outscored by 25 points, uh, unanswered 25 points in the uh, late third and fourth quarter. So they certainly had their bumps in the road, but they also scored 17 points in the second quarter. And let's start on offense, Rob. What was the big thing that stood out to you on the offensive side of the ball? The Seahawks did have more success this time around than they did in the first two regular season matchups. Yeah, I think that from a positive standpoint, I think that the performance of DK Metcalf was very exciting. Uh, you know, for, for him to have the performance that he had, 10 catches, 136 yards, two touchdowns, um, really just imposed his will at times. We saw the, the, the elite combination of size, speed, power, um, focus, you know, double clutching the pass, but then reeling it back in critical ball that he caught there. Uh, I just thought was really excited about that. Um, at the same time, I also was concerned about the fact that it does seem like when the Seahawks have lost games uh, this season, they have gone so focused on the wide receivers. And that unfortunately was again, the case in this situation, 25 targets to Seattle's wide receivers, 10 combined targets to Seattle's tight ends and running backs of those 10 targets to the running backs, not a single catch by a running back that stunned me. I really thought that was something that Seattle might try to get the 49ers running back or excuse me, get the 49ers linebackers 
moving around a little bit. Um, again, of those 10 targets to tight ends, only four of them were caught for a grand total of 25 yards. Again, really thought that that would be one of the areas in which that Seattle would try to get those linebackers for the 49ers moving around, be able to create a little bit more uh, area in the, the running game in the middle of the field. But again, I really think that one of the things that you have to kind of take away from this, if you're a Seahawks fan and you want to be optimistic, is the fact that your biggest superstar on offense, number 14, had a spectacular performance, looked hungry and ready to deliver these types of big time performances whenever the next situation like this presents itself. Playoff DK Metcalf is just a different animal. He's going to find a way to bottle that up in the regular season because I think the other thing that was encouraging is it seemed like he was able to keep his emotions in check yep. in this game too. He was still playing with passion but not over the top like we've seen him have some issues with. So that to me is the biggest thing with DK Metcalf. Don't beat yourself by getting overly emotional in the heat of the moment. And I think that's something going into year five – is going to continue to be a focal point for the Seahawks because when he is right mentally and he is right emotionally, good luck defending him with his physical tool set. And you saw that against the 49ers taking advantage against the number one defense, had a 50-yard touchdown catch. So that was certainly a positive. The other big positive to me, the pass protection was obviously not perfect. The key decisive turnover in the game, Charles and Menahue getting back there and knocking the ball out of Geno Smith's hands. And so pass protection broke down a few times in this game. But Nick Bosa didn't have a single quarterback hit in this game. That is a testament to your two rookie tackles, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, who I thought finished on a very strong note, aside from the two false start penalties that Charles Cross drew. Otherwise, I thought Abraham Lucas played fantastic for a second straight week, was holding his own. He did get beat by Amenahue, was credited with that sack allowed, but otherwise was very good. He held down Nick Bosa most of the game. Charles Cross held his own against San Francisco's rushers. And even in the interior, I mean, as a team, they gave up two quarterback hits the entire game. There were some pressures mixed in there, but I mean, I thought compared to the first two matchups, it was night and day. And they really allowed Geno Smith to have the opportunity. Smith started nine for 10 because he had time to throw the football. And he was getting the football out decisively, making smart decisions. Second half, that changed a little bit when they fell behind a couple scores. And he had to try to force the issue a little bit. But I think that is the biggest positive out of this game. There were certainly some missed opportunities there. There were some key pressures. One of them leading to that uh, fumble by Geno Smith. They came at the wrong time, but I thought this was a positive stepping stone, particularly for the tackles going towards year two. No, I 100% agree with you. Um, again, I think that this this felt like a season that was um, like 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 Seattle. Like this wasn't the year for the Seahawks. This was supposed to be year one of this big roster rebuild. And for Seattle's offensive tackles, those two rookies to play as well as they did. Uh, again, I think that is probably the single biggest reason why the Seahawks Seahawks fans should be feeling very optimistic about what might happen next season. Whether it be Geno Smith or some other quarterback, you've got to feel pretty darn good that you've got that set of bookend tackles um, that are going to be obviously only in year two of their NFL 
contracts um, and should just be on the, you know, just starting um, to be as good as they're going to be for the Seahawks. So again, that, that to me is, is really exciting. I think on the defensive side of the ball, again, one of the things that was really exciting is, is we talked about on the offense uh, with DK Metcalf, your biggest star having his biggest performance. I thought Ichenna Nuosu, the, the biggest free agent addition the Seahawks have made in years, continued his spectacular first season in Seattle. I mean, he was everywhere. He was Bosa in this game. Uh, you know, he was spectacular. For, for the Seahawks. So I, I think that uh, you got to feel really good about that. On the flip side, I, I was disappointed how Tariq Woolen played in this game. Yeah. I thought that Brandon Ayuk uh, was able to, to get him, uh, you know, kind of lost a little bit in, in coverage at times. And, you know, one of the big long runs, I thought that, uh, you know, that he, that, that Woolen was in position to be able to get off the block and be able to make a play and run support as well. There, It was just a, uh, you know, kind of a disappointing performance from the rookie, but at the same time really shows how high our expectations have become of a fifth round pick uh, in Tariq Woolen. I feel confident that he's going to bounce back. Um, and, and again, one of the other reasons why I feel very optimistic about Seattle's chances moving forward. Yeah, there's not much for me to say with positivity about the defense coming out of this game because they had their opportunities. I guess the good news is you held them to two field goals on three red zone possessions in the first half. And that was after giving up a bunch of explosive plays and having a bunch of missed tackles and busted coverages, the pass rush not showing up. That is where my frustration coming out of this game lies because you look at the previous two matchups and the Seahawks just simply could not get pressure on whoever was the quarterback. And it changed in this game. There were plenty of plays where they were getting after Brock Purdy, but they couldn't get him down. Like Pete Carroll said after the game, they made him look like Fran Tarkenton out there. He was moving all over the place, and that is not really Brock Purdy's game necessarily. But it became his game against the Seahawks defense that just couldn't finish pass rushes with quarterback hits or sacks. They kept coming up empty time and time again, and that led to a bunch of big plays. The secondary can only cover so long, especially against the talent the 49ers have at the skill positions. And when you let sacks get away from you and the quarterback can keep a play alive, you are going to get burned. It happened on two touchdown passes to Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell that those wouldn't have been there if the pass rush would have actually finished the job. And so it really was a microcosm of the Seahawks season. They didn't get enough pressure from the interior. The edge rush guys, when they did get to Brock Purdy, they didn't finish the play off. They left sacks and quarterback hits on the field far too often. And you can't do that against a team, the quality of the 49ers, and expect to win. So that was the biggest disappointment for me in this game. It wasn't the missed tackles. I guess I've just grown immune to that at this point because it happens every single game. But not being able to finish pass rushes and making Brock Purdy look like Fran Tarkenton out there, as Pete Carroll said, that that was the worst problem in this football game. And it led to a number of explosives by not being able to finish. They got to get that figured out going into next year. No, they, they really do. And that's, again, we, we talked about this, the, the Seahawks had that fifth pick and, and you, you mentioned that you, you think it's going to be a defensive player. I, I feel very confident unless it's a quarterback, then the, the only other position that makes any type of sense, you can justify using a top five selection is going to be a defensive tackle or a pass rusher of some type. Um, there are three or four very good ones in, in my opinion. And I do feel confident that Seattle is going to be getting at 
at least one new just absolute playmaker on the defensive side of the ball during this offseason, probably via the draft. and wouldn't be surprised if they are able to get another defensive player um, in, in free agency or, again, in the draft. That That's one of the things that I take some solace in is the fact that pass rushers and middle linebackers, those just heat seeking linebackers that kind of crave contact as, as counter as it sounds, they're actually some of the easiest players to find if you have the resources and the Seahawks, again, with $50 million in cap space and the draft picks that they have, they are going to be in a different position to be able to acquire that type of talent than we've ever seen Pete Carroll and John Schneider be in. And considering the type of success that Seattle had in this last year's draft, it does feel like the Seahawks are in position to really explode this upcoming year. I'm going to wrap up the show real quick because we always run out of time for special teams, but I got to give kudos to Jason Myers and Godwin Igwebuke, who are both heading towards free agency in March Seattle has to do whatever they can to re-sign both those players. I didn't think at this stage of the season I'd be talking about a kick returner being a priority to re-sign, but Godwin Igwip UK absolutely being an exclusive rights free agent too. It's a cheap tender. That needs to be put on it. He needs to be back as your starter in the kick return position because they have not had a spark back there like that since Tyler Lockett early in his career. And he's really made one of the best special teams units in football that much better. And Jason Myers – there needs to be provision in his contract. Let's figure out how to be better in odd years. But he needs to have a new contract as well after that emphatic finish to the season with a 56-yard field goal in that stadium in those weather conditions. That just tells you what kind of a season Jason Myers has. So kudos to both those guys finishing the season on a strong note. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon. Just ask Alexa to play Locked On Seahawks. And of course, five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to truly be shifting into off-season mode. We're going to take a first glance at some of the free agents that the Seahawks have heading into the 2023 offseason, which players should be prioritized. Maybe do a little bit of ranking which players need to be prioritized for the Seahawks to re-sign this offseason. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.